Welcome to Ask Peggy About Your Finances, because prosperity is so much more than money. Brought to you by writer, speaker, and certified financial planner, Peggy Doviak. Hello, and welcome to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show. My name is Peggy Doviak, and I'm a certified financial planner practitioner. And in this show, we talk about the stock market. I help explain financial planning ideas to you. I keep you up to date on legislation that impacts your money. And in the last section of the show, Ask Peggy, you can send a question to my Facebook page, Ask Peggy, and I'll answer it on the air. So let's get started with a story, because I really loved watching the royal wedding this weekend, and I heard a great story about Princess Diana and Harry that I want to share. So when Prince Harry was five years old, he went into the store with his mom. And unlike most royal families, Princess Diana thought it was very important for her children to understand money, and so she gave them pocket money that they could spend on things they wanted to buy that weren't really on the shopping list. So Harry took his money, and he got some chocolate bars and a comic book and some chewy candy. And when he went up to the register, he didn't have enough money. And so he took his chewy candy, and he put it back on the shelf, and he paid for what he wanted with the money that he had, and he didn't have a fit. He didn't ask his mom for any more money, and she was so impressed that she took him to McDonald's afterwards for a hamburger and french fry, which was his favorite meal. So if it's good enough for the royal family, you should teach your children about money, too. So now let's get started with the Bulls and Bears market report. You know, the market's been very edgy. It's been very volatile. And last week, ending on May 18th, the market for the most part dropped a little bit. The Dow Jones Industrial Average and the S&P 500 ended about half a percent down. The NASDAQ was a little bit worse at 0.66% down. Gold was down 2.23%, which is the proof that gold doesn't necessarily go up when the market goes down. And then finally, oil was up 0.85%. Now, until the Middle East calms down, I'm expecting oil to continue to go up. But remember, any kind of a calming of tensions with Iran or other parts of the Middle East could cause it to fall back down. So I don't really think it's a good idea to speculate, but I think that's why the oil continues to go up as everything else is volatile and continues to drop a little bit. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. So in this week's legislative update, the coolest thing that I found was a document put out by Pope Francis and the Vatican, and there's an official summary that came out from the Holy See Press Office, and I put that document on the Ask Peggy Facebook page. So if you want to look at it, you can go in and read it yourself. It's very long. I'm actually going to read you some of the highlights from it because when the Pope thinks everyone should be a fiduciary, then I really think that we're on pretty solid ground here. And so I was very excited with this statement. The name of the document is 
and I should clear my throat first, considerations for an ethical discernment regarding some aspects of the present economic financial system. And what the Pope summarizes in this document, and I'm sure since this is a summary, there is probably a longer statement someplace else, but this one's over 12 pages long, is his concern with how some of the financial services industry is operating. And so specifically what he's worried about are financial institutions taking advantage of people, banks taking advantage of people, and he um, also talks about credit default swaps. So I'm going to summarize some of this. I'm actually going to read some of this to you because I think it's really interesting, and I think that it's really good to know that this is an issue that has international attention. So early on in the document, it's actually on page four, he talks about how an economic system shouldn't only be measured by quantitative and um, profit-driven standards, but also on the basis of the well-being that it extends a good that is not simply material. He goes on to say that he is not opposed to financial services per se, that financial services meet a very distinct need that people have. And in fact, he says that most people in financial services are operating as they're animated by good and right intentions. However, he goes on in that sentence to say, because there is an opportunity and this is my paraphrase, to make so much money that a lot of times people end up doing things that serve them rather than serve their customers. It also talks talks about how it's easy to create a system that is so complicated that people don't really understand the products that they're buying. And one of the things that the Pope recommends is transparency that it's very important that the financial products be transparent so that the people who are purchasing them really understand the risks of what they're owning, understand what underlies it, and they don't get caught up into a system that they really don't understand. Which sounds so much like things that I have said that I really was glad to see this document because, you know, it's one thing for a financial planner in Norman, Oklahoma, to talk about how all of this is important. But the Pope has a huge microphone. And if the Pope can be on the side of the financial consumer without trashing the whole system, you know, you hear comments sometimes, well, you know, the Pope may not really be in his heart and soul a capitalist. And maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But I do know that this document does not trash the concept of a financial system. And so any personal views he has about that aren't in the document. He says the financial system is fine. Most of the people in it are fine, but there's areas where they really need to work. One of the things that the Pope is particularly concerned about is a credit default swap. And now I want to go ahead and give you the definition of a credit default swap because you might not have heard of it prior to this. A credit default swap is a derivative 
which means that it's not a product in and of itself. It's a product that relies on something else to give it value. So if you think about an option contract, because they're a little easier to understand, option contracts are written on stocks. And so they give you the option to buy the stock if it hits a certain price or the option to sell if something happens. But it relies on that underlying stock for the derivative, the option contract, to have any value. Well, credit default swaps are a derivative that are based off of loans. And in a credit default swap, people are creating securities around whether or not the person is going to default on the loan that they took. Now, originally, derivatives were hedges. So if you're a farmer and you grow wheat, you might want to purchase a derivative to cover the value if something happens to your wheat before you can harvest it. With a credit default swap, sometimes they're purchased by the person who's made the loan as a way of trying to protect their investment. But the biggest problem with credit default swaps is they began to be used speculatively, which means that the people who made the loan or held the loan were not actually the people who were buying the derivatives. Instead, they were bought by people who were trying to decide whether or not they thought someone would default on their loan. And again, summarizing a very long document, Pope Francis finds this morally reprehensible that we would be betting on someone else's failure. And I think it's a really interesting perspective. And he talks about the importance of only investing in things that are not just inherently rooting for someone to fail. So he's very opposed to that. He spends a long time in the middle of the document talking about the problem specifically with credit default swaps. The other piece that he addresses very specifically is talking about financial services people who trade only to generate the commission from the trades that they're placing. Now, we call this in the industry churning where you buy and you sell on behalf of a client, not because you really think the investment choices you're making are good, but you're trading to get the commission off of those trades. And Pope Francis is also really not fond of churning. He said that it's um, malicious negligence, which is a pretty strong criticism. So he wants people to act as the fiduciary, for the money that they're handling, because if they're not, he calls it malicious negligence, and he's opposed to people who trade simply to profit themselves. I'm just so excited about this document. Like I said, go to the Ask Peggy Facebook page. You can read it in in its entirety. I'm hoping that people who follow the writings of the Pope will follow this, maybe become more aware of things than if it was just me talking about it. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back to the Ask Peggy About Your Finances show.
My name is Peggy Doviak, and it is the Plan Your Prosperity section. And what I want to talk to you today about are hobby loss rules. And if you have a business that you're trying to get off the ground, or you have an activity that you like to do already, but you're trying to make some money at it, it's very important that the IRS views what you are doing as a business rather than a hobby. So maybe you make jewelry, maybe you write, maybe you're a musician. Maybe you have horses. There's a lot of things that can be legitimate businesses, but if you don't structure everything properly, the IRS will view it as a hobby. Well, why would you care about that? Because whether or not what you do is a hobby or a business has to do with the tax treatment. If you are running a hobby, and let's say you make jewelry, and you spend $500 on jewelry um, parts like beads and wire and, and you know, the, all of the clippers and things, what you need to make the jewelry with. And then you earn $20 of income on the jewelry that you sold. If your activity is a hobby, then you only can take the loss, the $500, up to the amount of money that you made. So you would have your $20 of income. You would be able to zero it out because remember, you have $500 of losses, but you're done. That's the end of it. That's the hobby loss rule. If, on the other hand, you're really trying to get a jewelry business going and you can prove to the IRS that it really is a business, then you can zero out the $20 of income and take the $480 of additional expense against other income on your taxes. And if you've only made $20 making jewelry, I'm guessing you have another job or you have a spouse who has a job so that there's more money coming in. So being able to keep that $480 loss against your taxes has some really strong value to it. It's important that you structure this properly. First of all, it's important that you're really trying to start that jewelry business because you can't have a hobby and claim it's a business and run the deduction because if the IRS figures out that you are running, I, I hate to use the word scam, I don't use that in a legal definition, but basically you're trying to pull a fast one. The IRS is going to get really upset with you. But if you're trying to get a real business off the ground, it'd be nice to take the money. So here's some steps that you can follow that may help you be able to take those deductions. So the first thing is you've got to be able to prove to the IRS that you are spending considerable effort to make this work. So keep a journal. Keep a journal of the activities that you're doing related to your business when you're working on it. Now, you don't have to work on it every single day, but it needs to be substantial and it needs to be recurring. So if you're only making jewelry twice a year, the IRS is not going to think you have a business. But if you're working on it every day, in that journal, you can also keep up with 
What did you do to try to sell the jewelry? The IRS is looking for solid good faith effort on your part to try to make money. You've got to be working all the time, so you need to keep up with any marketing that you do. Keep any receipts for anything that you have. You have to have your receipts. If you lose receipts, what you can do is make a copy with your phone. Just take a picture of the receipt. That way, you don't lose that little piece of paper because that little piece of paper goes a long way. If you go to a show, make sure that you take pictures of yourself at the show. Make sure that you keep any documentation that proves you were there, and that will help the IRS see that you're trying to keep to keep um, to actually make some money at this. Only claim reasonable losses. This is not your brand new deduction cash cow. You need to take the expenses that are reasonable for a person who is doing what you are doing to take. Do not get extravagant. Do not go over the top. Do not claim $10,000 of losses on $20 of income because the IRS is again going to know you are trying to pull a fast one. Disclose all the money that you earn, even if you get paid in cash. Because remember, what you're trying to do is have the ability to financially survive until your business really takes off. You have to show the IRS you're making money. You can't run something without having income year after year. So you've got to make some money at what you're doing. If you have a great year and you've actually earned more money than you've spent, I want you to show a profit. You've got to show profit in your business or unbelievable good effort to show why you're not making a profit. But show that profit. Pay the tax. It means your business is working. So you want to go ahead and have those profitable years. And work with a CPA. Ideally, try to find a CPA who understands your business. Different kinds of endeavors have different kinds of expenses that are more common. It'll be easier for a CPA who's familiar with what you're doing to help you come up with how to structure this in a way that you don't draw an audit. Because remember, you want to be able to prove to the IRS that you have a business, not a hobby, and your financial life will be better for it. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. Welcome back. I'm Peggy Doviak, and this is the Ask Peggy section of the show. So the first question that I get comes from Nancy. And Nancy asks, I do a lot of entertaining and I pay for meals. Can I take that off my taxes now that the entertainment deduction has been eliminated? And the easy answer to that, Nancy, is sometimes but rarely and it's really complicated. So if you've done a lot of paying for meals as part of your entertainment, you need to listen to the answer to this. First of all, the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act has placed major restrictions on the entertainment expense, expense deductions 
And in most cases, that entertainment expense has been eliminated. And the meal deduction is the most onerous lack of deduction that people are suffering from this, which means that most of the time you are not going to be able to deduct the cost of your meals. Now, I have been doing a lot of reading on this, not only from Nancy's question, but this is a question that I get a lot from from clients and friends and people that I know, what am I supposed to do? So I have been reading every kind of commentary on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act law that I've been able to find, especially related to the meal deduction. Right now, unless you are traveling, you cannot deduct the cost of your meal as a business expense. Right now, you cannot deduct the cost of a meal that you've paid for someone else, whether you're traveling or whether you're not traveling. So meals not on travel are not deductible. Meals on travel, they're a 50% deduction to you, but if you buy somebody else's dinner, it doesn't help. So they actually need to buy their own dinner so they can get the 50% deduction if they're traveling as well. But... The general consensus is this rule may be changing, and it may be changing sometime this year. I recently heard a financial person say, well, you need to talk to your CPA by the end of the year to find out what you could have taken this year. With the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, I really think that's months too late. Because since there is a possibility they're going to tweak this law, what I'm going to tell you is I want you to keep every meal receipt that you get. And then remember, on the back of a meal receipt, you need to write down what you talked about, who you were with, justifying it as a business meal expense. So I want you to keep those. Now, there's a very good chance you'll have to throw them all in the trash at the end of the year. But keep them because if you don't have them, then you can't take the deduction if they come in, oh, I don't know, like the last week of December, like they did on the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. If you don't have your receipts, you can't take that deduction. The other advice that I'm seeing given pretty commonly is keep your meals reasonable. You know, one of the reasons why this deduction went away is people want to restaurants entirely nicer than anywhere they would eat on their own, but they'd eat at these great places and then they would have all of this giant write-off. So the recommendation has been choose normal restaurants. Now, that doesn't mean you need to get the senior citizen early bird special someplace or you need to go get a happy meal or a value meal, but it does mean that you shouldn't find the most expensive restaurant that you can. Choose the restaurant that is appropriate to the meeting that you're holding, but don't go crazy over the top. And then absolutely document what you talked about. If you don't have room on the back of the receipt, remember in the last section of the show, I suggested that you keep a journal. I would keep a journal for my meals too this year where you've got the room to write down who you were with, what you talked about, some outcomes. It's a pain, but if you get the deduction later, it might be worth it. Now, one entertainment deduction has not gone away. 
And that is a deduction for an event that you hold for the general public. So if you bring everybody in the community in for an open house or some kind of an event, the entertainment expenses related to that, because it's the general public, are still deductible. I suspect they're seeing that more as a marketing cost rather than an entertainment cost, but that's my thinking on it. I actually didn't read that. So events to the public are great. Your meals, unless you're on travel, don't work. Meals on travel, 50%. Nobody else's meals. But keep your receipt. Keep your journal. I think you're going to be able to fix this. The second question comes from Carolyn, who says, I've heard that once I pay off a credit card, I should cut it up. What do you think? I think I hear that advice a lot, Carolyn, and I actually don't like it. Because here's the thing, your credit score is somewhat a function of the debt that you have to the available credit that you are not using. So let's assume that you have two cards with a $10,000 credit limit on each one. So that's $20,000 of available credit. Let's assume that you have $5,000 of credit card debt. So that's five over 20 is your ratio or a quarter. If you get rid of one of those cards, now you only have $10,000 of available credit and you've used your available credit at the rate of 50%. That will make your credit score go down. So take the card out of your purse, out of your pocket, put it in a drawer, put it in a safe. I know people who freeze it in ice water. I don't think I'd do that with those new chips that they have. I actually think that probably isn't going to work out very well for you. But get the card out of your purse or your pocket. Then only use it like once a year and pay it off to keep that credit active. You don't want them to cancel the card on you. So use it once in a while sporadically it will help you keep your credit level, your credit, uh, your debt over available credit ratio lower. It's a much better solution than just cutting up the card. Of course, if the card has really high expense ratios, if there's other problems with the card, then maybe you replace it with a different card. But just getting rid of your available credit is not a good way to raise your credit score. Well, I can't believe how fast this last show has gone. I'm back today. I was at a conference last week. I was in Reno, Nevada at the RT Book Lovers Convention, where I was really excited to be able to show a brand new early edition of my book, 52 Weeks to Prosperity, Ask Peggy Doviak, which is why we have the Ask Peggy section, because I've just really found that giving people the opportunity to ask questions about their money has been so useful to them. So it's an early edition. The book is going to come out later in the year. It covers different financial planning topics. It's a lot like the radio show. But I was really excited to get to be there and to get to be an author for a week, which is always really, really fun. And so I'm looking forward to it. So this week, what we realize is the markets are still volatile and they're probably going to stay that way as long as the Middle East is weird. Even the Pope thinks your financial advisor should be your fiduciary. I cannot tell you how much 
how, how excited I am about this, how much I really think this is going to help the cause. Remember that if you are trying to create a business, it's very, very important that the IRS also thinks that it's a business and that you don't fall into the trap of the IRS deciding that what you are doing is a hobby. So you always want to keep up with the hobby loss rules and talk to your CPA about those to make sure that you have everything organized and done the right way. If you do a lot of entertainment, the meal deduction is gone for the most part, although watch this space. Certainly, if they make an adjustment to that rule, I will talk about it on the radio show. I would also recommend that you keep in close contact with your CPA this year because a lot of the things from the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act actually need a little bit of a tweak. Have a great week. I will see you next time. Thank you to Voices of Oklahoma, KVOY 104.5 FM, for the opportunity to share my ideas. Thank you also to Sports Talk 1400 in Norman for production and studio assistance. You may submit personal finance questions to the Ask Peggy Facebook page and learn more at PeggyDoviak.com. And remember, prosperity is so much more than money.